Hello and welcome to PSG Review, the show taking charge like Kylian Pape in Le Bleu. Congratulations to the new national team captain and what an introduction to this new version of the France team. Two goals and an assist against the Netherlands. Also known as the show wondering what's next as the club seems to be getting ready to repeat all of its past mistakes without seeing the one common denominator in all this. In this episode we look into all PSG topics of interest that have been on my mind as we are reflecting the season so far before its final conclusion. Nice to have you with me. My name is Mikko and you can find and follow me. Talk to me online at PSG Helsinki on Twitter and Instagram or email me directly psghelsinki at gmail.com. Rate, review, share, suggest, tell a friend and most of all I would say subscribe which many of you have already done and that's always nice because then you don't need to find the episodes. The episodes will find you every week. I thought that I'm going to use this international break to talk about few issues that are more general. We will wonder also who is going to be the manager next season or does it even matter? We will look into Neymar's situation and of course we will also check what's happening in the Women's Champions League quarterfinals against Wolfsburg. That was quite a night at Le Parc but we will get into that a little bit later. First things first, whatever really is the first thing, I don't know, but a lot of focus is moving to what does PSG look like next season as opposed to the rest of this season, which is just something we need to work through. Milan Skriniar has integrated perfectly in our backline even before his arrival, as he too is having mysterious injury and can't play football. How about that? Even the future players are injured and he could even miss the rest of the season. So who knows what kind of care and consideration Inter is interested in investing in his recovery. Uh, at the same time, what PSG can do to help him is also incredibly limited because he's under contract with another club. Uh, hopefully this isn't something to worry too much about. Perhaps things could also, for once, just work out for the better. There's also been talk about a couple of young Benfica players, Shen Dior and Diego Moreira, both still teenagers. I can't comment much on that. We will see. Uh, but uh, more interestingly, perhaps, well, I don't know if it's more interestingly, but nevertheless, there's talk about Victor Osimhen, the Nigerian former Lille striker, now having a magical season with Napoli. I don't know what the likelihood of his arrival is, but uh, also the name Randal Kolomwani has been mentioned as a backup to that option. Colomani is Frankfurt player, formerly of Nantes, but perhaps more interestingly, another young man from Bondi, just like Kylian Bappe. The names of the Turam brothers have also been mentioned. Not sure if it's more hopeful than actual, but Marcos Turam certainly is out of contract this summer. And the internet found all of his old pro-PSG tweets from almost a decade ago, so he seems somewhat partial to us, at least he has been. Uh, this is all speculation, but my hope is that our decision makers watch very carefully the France-Netherlands match. The French national team is currently so strong and all these players uh, were in Ligue 1, more or less, you know, with some exceptions, of course, even a couple of years ago still. So if you look at that team and how they play, and then trying to build a French monster in Paris for PSG, in the capital city of France. I mean, so many of those players are even from our own academy, but even the ones that aren't, you know, we should look into that. Is it possible? Is it realistic? What would it require? 
I hope extra attention is given to this situation instead of always looking for some other places. Look into our own backyard. I mean, Paris or Ile-de-France is, uh, if it had its own national team, I think it would still compete for the World Cup. It has a very, very strong representation in the French national team. And, and, and that is how incredible pool of talent we have there on the backyard. And, and we need to stop acting like we need someone else from somewhere else to do something for us, to validate us as this international force when all the big clubs around Europe are doing what they can to get all these Parisian players to play for them. So who is going to be the manager of PSG next season? Will Galtier get to continue or will it be somebody else? Now it seems that it definitely won't be Thomas Tuchel who had been talked about. He's taking over Bayern, but that will also mean that uh, Nagelsmann is available. Would PSG be interested in him or would he be interested in PSG? I don't know. And what about the other names as Mourinho or somebody else? Well, The short answer to who will be the coach next season is, of course, I don't know. I mean, how could I know that since I'm not sure even if the insiders do. But the more complicated answer is that it makes no difference. It's an absolutely, utterly meaningless question if that is all we are thinking about changing. Now, PSG in the QSI era has had seven different managers and five different sporting or football directors or an advisor, as uh, Campos is titled. And many of the people have been very good. Tuchel and Ancelotti have been raising the Champions League trophy after their respective stints in Paris and Unai Emery won the Europa League before and after us. Galtier created a winning side with far less than what he has in Paris and we all know he's a capable manager of a football team. Yet when the decisive moments of the season come, he has been as much of a deer in the headlights as all of his predecessors. This isn't about individual manager, but structural issue. This is about the whole operation of PSG, the environment where these managers need to work in. Uh, Thomas Tuchel once said when he got to Chelsea that in Paris he was like a minister of football, that his job wasn't to coach, but it was almost like this diplomatic endeavor where he was unable to focus on the task at hand, or perhaps the task at hand wasn't what he had been assuming and told. And uh, it's not like Chelsea didn't have a complicated owner at the time, later forced to sell the whole operation because of his proximity to Putin. He was on the list of sanctioned people, so it must not have been fun time for Tuchel there either, but uh, Chelsea also had stars and has stars and big personalities, but somehow this was his view of Paris in specific. Now in retrospect, perhaps he would have different story about Chelsea too, that they don't pay his wages anymore. But that's a little beside the point because I personally don't really care that much about that team. It's none of my business, none of my concerns. But PSG might just be one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult coaching jobs in football. The expectations are always sky high. The player power is immense. And as a coach, you have to constantly manage egos and emotions. And, you know, if the players who are the stars of this show, they know their position and they know their value for the marketing and all the rest of it. And the really big names, at least I'm talking about, and they, they, they can always go above you and talk to someone else. And this is where the issue is, really. Our final decision making is too high up and the structure and When that happens, it makes everyone in between potentially overpowered at any time, so they might as well just do what they think is being expected from them. It becomes almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy or self-censorship where in the interest of calm around their own office, they just 
do what they know is wanted from them, whether it would have been asked specifically or perhaps just implied. Just always fit the biggest names on the pitch, no matter how little sense it would make formation or systems wise. So we have had seven managers and five sporting directors or similar, like said, and of course, out of those five, Leonardo has done two stints as has Andero Henrique, although his second role was quite different. But nevertheless, we have had only one president. And I guess my issue isn't so much that PSG has only had one president during this QSI era, but that one president has been acting more like a king. He never has to justify his position or his decision, no matter what they result in. Uh, He can always sacrifice someone below him to take the hit. But we are also in the situation that all those ones who have been taking those hits before, uh, we know they aren't useless people. They have shown it elsewhere. Uh, Only one person has been involved in all these years when we have been circling around the same potholes and trying to fill them with diamonds. I fully understand that perhaps Doha wants the club to be led by a Qatari, which means that the pool of candidates is fairly small. And I even understand that Nasser Al-Khalifi might seem like a great character for them because he has built this business giant, a sort of new empire. And financially speaking, what a great achievement and all that. But his inability to stay away from the decision making on football level has set us back. That is my thinking. And perhaps none of this is about him, Nasser Al-Khalifi as an individual. It's always a bit boring to look for scapegoats or someone specific to point the finger at, and I'm not overly interested in that kind of thing, but it's safe to say that the role he has in the organization is a very confusing one and something that doesn't necessarily help with us finding coherence and balance. I was talking about this online on Twitter. As as soon as QSI took over this club, the level of footballing achievements was raised very quickly with the investments and new player. A domestically dominant and solid Champions League knockout team. Not necessarily great success in the actual knockouts, but always making their way into them and all this happened very quickly. But after that, the team has been stagnating. We don't really talk about it very much, but the team has been stagnating. Actually, you could make an argument that it's been even getting a little bit worse in the last couple of years. We haven't won the Champions League group stage in a couple of years now. And in the last five Coupe de France's, and I include this year because we've already been knocked out, PSG has managed to win only twice. Now, two cup wins is not nothing. Again, I'm trying to be very careful always to not belittle the domestic competition, but uh, two out of five isn't impressive when you look at the squad that we have. And also before we used to win this trophy pretty much as a standard. And even before QSI, we had won it eight times. So it could be said actually with all this incredible star power and preseason excitement, the level of our achievements hasn't only been stagnating, but it has even dropped from the earlier days of QSI era. Bayern Munich legend Philipp Lahm gave his analysis on PSG and I will give you a pre-warning. It it is at times so accurate that it's almost very painful to hear. But this is what he said in his Guardian Think piece titled Unlovable PSG are as far away as ever from getting the best out of their stars. Now, let me say first, PSG isn't unlovable as the fans show time after time, but I guess he talks about the neutrals or whoever else. But I take this paragraph from this piece as an example. This is what he says. This exorbitantly expensive theme resemble a luxury department store displaying precious exhibits that everyone marvels at but no one can afford. 
it guarantees high attention and spectacle, but only works economically. If so much money is spent, but the opposite of quality is achieved, that is not good. And he is right. PSG team is built like having ice cream for every meal and insisting that it's a balanced diet. Lam goes to criticize many aspects of PSG, particularly Marco Ferrati. Now, I might not entirely share his analysis of him, but I get the point. And usually when there is a think piece in Guardian that talks about PSG, it is by some English journalist who has probably only seen a few of our Champions League matches in that season and certainly comes across like having little to no depth of understanding. But when Lam says this, I feel like it's better to listen. He knows a thing or two about this all. I feel like on the pitch, many of our players are afraid to not pass the ball to the stars and in the dugout and the middle offices, the people are afraid to not upset the owners. I'm not sure if this is 100% accurate analysis of the situation, but what can I tell based on a lived experiences? This system doesn't seem to work. And to return for a moment to Lam's criticism of Verratti, I remember the early days of Neymar when he came to PSG. People were saying that he has had a negative impact on Kylian Mbappe. People were feeling that Kylian was learning the wrong things from Neymar. And in hindsight, I can tell that I don't think that was the case, not in any substantial way anyway. But should we ask, has Verratti taken some of the less desirable habits from his good friend Lionel Messi? Now, both are obviously amazing football players, but it feels like Verratti's standard, which has for years been so incredible and whatever success we have had, he should be one of the first names to mention behind it. But is he just experiencing a little bit of a drop in form or does he not care quite as much these days? Or perhaps he too is tired of the lack of forward movement as a project. The more things have changed, the more they have remained exactly the same. And perhaps after a decade, it starts to feel a little disheartening to him too. But back to the question of manager, who is the manager is one of the things that really doesn't mean all that much, you know, not as much as it could unless the footballing side of this project can declare its relative independence from the boardroom and do its own thing. I've said this a million times and I will say this again, unless we can make this project work again, or those who are in charge can, then Kylian Papa will make his own mind up and no one can blame him if he looks for places where he can be on the top of the world. After the Bayern tie, two matches where we scored zero goals against a team that was so unhappy with the way things were going that they fired the manager, Mbappe said that this was the maximum of PSG. It's simply not good enough, is it? It's not good enough for me, probably it's not good enough for you, what do I know, but I imagine it isn't good enough for him. We have been talking about these things before, but since we are on an international break and there's no PSG matches to talk about, let me talk about someone who most likely will be our player next season. Neymar is a player who has always had a lot of hype and disgruntlement around him, both praise as well as, of course, frustration and criticism. And it is clear to all of us that his definite downside has been his injuries, recurring ones. Now, is he the one to blame for those? You can make a good case that his style of play attracts these tackles, rightly or wrongly, that compromise our seasons. And that is because he likes to put on a show and players who feel humiliated by it tend to have their revenge by kicking him down to prove a point of some sort. It, it's not right, right? It's not right, but it's also predictable. Now, I don't blame Neymar for it. It's what the referees allow that I find more problematic, but many would see it as he should know by now what the expected outcome is. 
he is also, of course, very skillful player, very skillful. So many times a late tackle, a cynical tackle is all that can be done to stop him. And he likes to hold the ball a lot. Sometimes releasing it earlier could help him to avoid the contact. But we're coming to something quite important here. This is who he is. This is how he plays. And this is why we all know his name. If you ask me, of course, I think he should adjust his style a little bit more, but uh, this is his essence also. If he doesn't find playing fun or it becomes purely a mechanical process, well, you know, then he's not delivering. It's the thing that makes him him. It's then the manager and the higher-ups to decide how this gels with the formation and the squad in general. But one thing I will say about him, both in PSG as well as for Brazil national team, is that he isn't the one to give up when he is needed. The issue might be that he isn't there when he is needed, or that his style doesn't complement the system, or like said, that he is unable to adjust. We have seen, for instance, that our midfield is much more coherent when they can play their position and not look for ways to support Neymar bringing the ball up the pitch because that also requires being able to read the mind of a magician and it's not always very easy. So there are these things that can be said. I think it's fair that we analyze him the way he deserves to with care and compassion as opposed to every intellectually limited take by commentators and pundits talking about his sister and what have you. I mean, not just him, we all deserve better than that kind of gutter takes, which are, of course, very common and they have never been funny. I'm irritated by them, but mainly I feel sorry for the ones who think that they are very clever. Be that as it may, let me jog your memory to a time in PSG's history, recent history, of course, that to me is probably my favorite part of him, Neymar, as a PSG player. Of course, when he came into the club, he came in with an absolutely enormous impact. But let's go back to the autumn of 2020. Uh, PSG was fresh out of the Champions League final and COVID cases were coming left, right and center. You never really knew who would be the next one with a positive test and unavailable for the match. And this was, of course, the case for all teams. Thomas Tuchel was in all-out war with Leonardo and we were without the strong presence of Thiago Silva or Edinson Cavani. A few will remember this, but this was also part of the period when uh, Kylian Pape went almost one full calendar year without one Champions League goal and we were in the same group with Manchester United, RP Leipzig and Istanbul Basak Shahir. We started off the group stage by losing to United at Park. We beat Basak here in Istanbul, but then we were beaten by Leipzig on a way trip. So halfway through the group stage, PSG with three points out of three matches and both Leipzig and Manchester United had six. So we were third in line. Things were not looking particularly great at the time. And there was a real chance that the club was not going to make it to the knockouts. If I'm thinking about it, the reason passed, this really was the time when it could have happened. There were other times also when we had Napoli and Liverpool in the same group a few years before uh, before that. But uh, early November 2020, it was looking pretty bad for us. It was certainly not the best way to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the club, but then something happened and that something wasn't just Neymar alone. Mind you, we had other players who were very solid. At the times, players like Moise Keane to name someone and Angel Di Maria had some great moments. Even Rafinha played his by far best PSG football then. But for the second half of this group stage, 
we beat Leipzig with Neymar penalty. Manchester United at Old Trafford 1-3, Neymar scoring two goals. And finally, Basak Shahir match that was played in two installments because there was an allegation of racist language by the referee on the pitch side. PSG won that match 5-1 with Neymar scoring a hat-trick and PSG went to top the group only to meet Barcelona in the round of 16. On top of his hat-trick against uh, Bashak Shahir, Neymar also gave a penalty to Kylian Pape so he could end his continental cold drought and that released him to take care of business in camp now with the hat-trick after Barcelona PSG beat Bayern and Neymar was a key factor again. This was great Champions League run, even if it ended in the semifinals against City, who was both better as well as a little bit luckier, but fair dues. Pochettino was the manager at this point, and I see his presence more incidental in this run. But nevertheless, I feel like you could make an argument that this was better run than the one year before when we were in the final during the most unusual corona time when the final eight played one-leg knockouts in Portugal. I mean, final is a final and you can't take anything away from it. But what happened the year after was pretty special, actually. Ironically, it was Tuchel who went to win the whole thing with Chelsea and it made absolutely everyone forget how much of a different situation had been in Paris. Clearly, Tuchel too needed a new fresh start because things had been toxic. But it is those three matches, the second part of the Champions League group stage that year that Neymar carried us pretty single-handedly. I mean, football is a team sport. You can never do anything single-handedly, but as much as it is possible in football to do that, that's what he did. He he saved us from embarrassment, and I feel like that is something we tend to overlook quite often when we think about his time in Paris. He's a player that can just decide to change everything and then do it. He doesn't always do it. He's not always available to do it, but he has that in him. Now, after another injury, his leg has been operated on and what we have been promised is that it should be now more manageable. It should make future injuries less likely. But of course, if there's enough of an impact, anything can happen. Neymar also has issues with Campos and it seems that when he isn't playing, the team is playing better. Arguably, yes, but there's also a fair chance that when either he or Messi aren't playing, the team plays better. It's just that the three of the big names in front, is, they're too much, especially when we don't have a target man waiting to be served, because that's also not Mbappe's role as such. It seems to me, like I have said before in this show, highly unlikely that we can sell Neymar next summer. Uh, him coming out of another injury, yet another injury with his astronomical salary and unreliable availability through the season. It doesn't make him a great catch despite all that he has to offer. There is a chance that someone wants a marquee player like him and can afford it, but just because it is possible, in my eyes, doesn't make it very probable. But it's a huge consideration when rebuilding the project, trying to rejuvenate it and also make it financially in line with the FFP, the financial fair play rules. Right now, when we're looking at our bench, there isn't the type of depth that we need. I was talking about this in earlier recent episode, but while Bayern Munich brought in uh, against PSG, Leroy Sane, Sadio Mane and Serge Napri, we brought our youth players and uh, some of them are really great. Obviously, you know, there's still a disparity there and that is because of the salaries of our stars and even some players who aren't stars, but also because of our formation isn't very flexible when the three stars are available. In the absence of Neymar, Galtier was able to change the entire system to one that worked much better. 
it was more coherent, but it's not an easy thing to bench one of the best paid stars in the team that parts of the stadium have specifically come to see. It should be possible, like what Ten Hag did with Ronaldo, but it's not easy and it will require the support of the whole power structure and that has been our challenge for years. From Unai Emery to even to Hell and certainly Pochettino, they have just thrown in the biggest names and our youth players have read in between the lines and made choices like Xavi Simons, for instance. There's a chance that he will still come back, but I also feel that there's even bigger chance that He won't unless there are guarantees that it is worth his while because come next season he will be a starter somewhere. That would be my prediction at least. He is a starter for his national team so why not on a club level whether he's a starter for us or for someone else that is less clear but he won't be very interested in sitting on the bench I imagine. So whatever happens with Neymar, Messi or even if Mbappe will say that enough of this we need to be able to create more interesting project and by that I mean more interesting to top our very promising players. Whether we like it or not, league on to many players isn't a draw card like some other leagues are and uh, if our Champions League performances continue like this, money is the only thing that we have to offer. Now there is an element to this that isn't much talked about and I think it's very important that it is mentioned because many younger players, they are of the generation of the age that uh, they were growing up with Slatan in Paris, even the early years of Neymar and Mbappe and whoever else, they, they would come from a period where their formative years coincided with a very ambitious PSG project and that might be more of a factor as the time goes by and I gather that it already was the case with Nuna Mensch for example so that's a good example but this is something that might change things slowly at least but uh, we need to also get to the level in Champions League that the players are willing to join us even if we don't break the salary structure for them to do it like what Bayern has managed to do in Germany of course with many more years of history So in the meantime, if we want to pay three people an absolute fortune, the rest of the team building must be absolutely spot on. I don't know how else to say it. And of course, the thing to remember is that Messi might not play for us next season. And I hope that is the case, not because he isn't a great player, but because the collective sacrifice for these three salaries is unsustainable. If we could sell Neymar too, that would help. Financially speaking, Sergio Ramos should not be extended, even if he has shown better displays recently. But in counter-attacking football, as we face on a weekly basis in France, he doesn't have the legs for Ligue 1 strikers and wingers who are generally very, very fast and full of ambition to show what they have against the biggest French club in front of a global audience. So we have this puzzle where not all the parts fit together and the club needs to figure out how to put this part in an order that makes some sense or resembles something and through that with time we might get the right part. And I imagine someone like Pape, as much as he loves France, Paris and even PSG, he can't wait until his 30s for us to get our act together. At some point he will have to say, I tried, I waited, but this isn't a serious football project. Unless it will become one. But... If we can't make decisions about the future of other players, inadvertently and against our own will, we will make one for him. And for that, the clock is ticking. 
I did mention earlier that there are no PSG matches to talk about during the international break, but that of course isn't entirely true as well as our women's team played the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinals in front of the sort of half full Parc de France and our ultras in full swing. The match was against Wolfsburg, which is both the defending Bundesliga champion in Germany from the last season and the league leader that side this season as well. So all in all, quite a good team and PSG was suffering from so many injuries, leaving the defense needing our key midfielders like the captain Kraschioro uh, to help. Uh, I never really felt like we went into this match as a favorite of any kind, but I was very, very happy to see that PSG was quite clearly the better football team on the pitch on the night. Wolfsburg, of course, was much more physical, quite a lot more physical, and their whole strategy seemed to be how much they can get away with. The answer to that is a lot, by the way, as they were trying to run through the backs of our players at every turn. Uh, to me, it was terrible advert for women's football. I- I'm-, I'm sorry to say this, but I guess they don't need my blessing for it anyway. The, the refereeing was very scandalous. Despite the heavy-handed and cynical Wolfsburg tackles, it was PSG that was picking yellow cards. Uh, notably our centre-back Elisa de Almeida got one from protestation, which was a bit of a joke considering everything else that was happening in this match, and she wasn't exactly protesting in any kind of hostile manner. I mean, frustration, yes, but come on, you know, it wasn't that bad. That one should have never been given, but if it was a joke, it was a very costly joke, as later on she got a second yellow as the ball touched her hand in the penalty box. The handball rule is complicated one and it also tends to change every so often and it leaves the referees quite a lot of room for interpretation but there was very little that she could have done as the ball was coming from centimeters away from her quickly but not only was the penalty given but she also was given her second yellow card and subsequent red card and that was really the decisive thing for this match but the controversy wasn't just this because moments before all of that that I just mentioned Shakina Kashai had a good run in the box uh, in the offensive area and the Wolfsburg defender missed the ball entirely and brought her down initially the referee whose overall performance was very dubious and poor gave the penalty but she cancelled it from the VAR and I have been watching this situation several times since and I still don't understand how it was not a penalty It was as clear as it could get in my opinion and it was from this situation where Wolfsburg then took the possession which resulted in this penalty situation for them on the other end. So not only did we miss out on a clear penalty but the opponent got theirs and we got a red card. Not a great exchange I would say that. So the referee wanted to be the star of the night and she managed to give this match to the visitors. Perhaps it sounds like I'm being overly sensitive or bitter about it but... uh, I can't really explain what was happening there in any other way. With 10 players, PSG was unable to be much of a threat. And like I said, it doesn't help that our important midfield playmaker, Kreskioro, had to be in the back line for the whole match, as did another midfielder, Orian Jean-Francois, who had had a great match in the midfield. But then when the Almeida got uh, her second yellow and the red card, she had to leave the pitch and Jean-Francois reversed into the back line. Wolfsburg had one shot on target in this whole match and it was the penalty and if our team would have played poorly I would have accepted the sandballing refereeing as a merely a circumstance that occasionally occurs but since PSG was the better football team on the pitch it's a bit of an embarrassment for the whole competition to be honest with you of course this happens all the time in men's football too so I'm not insinuating that this was somehow specific here but a huge disappointment nevertheless. 
Still, next match is on Wednesday in Germany and we have all to play for there. If the home team in this match is as mediocre as they were in Paris and we don't have such a terrible luck with the match officials, everything is very much possible there. Thanks for listening, this is PSG Review. My name is Mikko and you can catch me online at PSG Helsinki on Twitter and Instagram. Please rate and review the show on your podcast platform of choice as well. That is one of the best ways you can help an independent podcast because otherwise the algorithms, let alone the marketing budgets, aren't on our sides. But if you appreciate the analysis and the ideas here, that's a great way to support them. We will have more PSG review next time and until that, I appreciate you the time that you have spent with me again. Take care of yourself and the ones around you. Until next time, peace.